So our passage today in Hebrews chapter 4 starts with, if you've been with us, our third, therefore. We remember whenever therefore is there, we are bringing necessary information from the previous truths communicated and we're bringing it forward so that we can fully grasp the new truths that are now going to be presented. So there's a whole load of stuff that's come in the first three chapters and this therefore lets us know that if you don't understand what's coming before, you're going to have a hard time grasping what we're digging into now. So to that end, in efforts to just kind of help us a little bit remember where we've come from in the first three chapters, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians who are considering stepping back in their holding fast to Christ. So at one point they had committed themselves to following Jesus, and now for a variety of reasons, primarily because they were being persecuted and finding it very difficult, they're thinking about not holding fast and stepping back. And the problem here with this, as the author lays out for them, is not that they're just settling for good rather than best, but the fact that they're stepping backwards is a step into nothing. In other words, belief in anything less than Jesus is no belief at all. He's trying, the author is trying to help them understand, guys, it's not just swapping a belief here that you're struggling with. It's actually that you think you're stepping into a belief, but it has no foundation. It has no substance. And so the author has been making his case that while the message of of angels and prophets and even Moses have been good, they've been helpful in communicating God's Word in their time, they are insufficient for their present reality. They only pointed out the ultimate message of Jesus as the very Word of God. So these messages they had heard before through angels, through prophets, through Moses, were words of God. But now Jesus is Himself the very Word of God. He is the very Word of God that must be believed. The author is warning his Hebrew recipients that stepping away from a hold fast on Jesus as the very word of God is on the same level of disbelief as those who stepped away from a, from abiding in and hearing the word of God in the Sinai wilderness. You with me? This is why he's been making this comparison. You stepping away from Jesus as the word of God is just like those who stepped away from God's word when he said, go into the promised land. He is now saying to you, believe on my son Jesus. And that's, that lack of belief is no different than the, the lack of belief for the Hebrews that did not enter into his rest. So if you think you're just going to step back into Moses and be okay, you're not because you will not enter into his rest. And so the warning in the passage today for his recipients and then also for us is extremely clear. Today, if you hear the word of God, believe. That's the tip of the spear in this second chiasm that it's provided through the structure of this part of Hebrews. Is somebody over there? Grayson, can you help me, buddy? I knew he'd come through. So last week we talked about chiasms, remember? Or chiasm, however you want to. And we put it up on the screen. Well, there's a second one. They're back to back. And they actually share foundations. So this is a very unique way of looking at this passage for us in a very unique way of the author writing it. And actually, if you're following, we'll see this in a little bit. Both the point, I call it the tip of the spear. These things, these chiasms have truths kind of um, complementing each other on either side, and they lead up to the main point at the top, and this is what we're not supposed to miss. And both the chiasm in chapter 3 that we went through last week and the chiasm of chapter 4 both have a very intentional and very similar meaning. And so as we see in in verse 1, 
And also verse 11, there's compliments in there that let us fear so that we don't fail to enter his rest. And verse 11 says, let us labor to enter his rest. In verse four, in 3 and verse 10, enter rest. I'm summarizing these. You can take a look at them. Enter his rest and his works were finished. Enter rest and he rested from his works. He's talking about the Lord. In verse 6, there remains for some a rest to enter. In chapter 8, the end part, a rest remains for the people of God. And then he compares two different characters, a certain day through David, and then another day through Joshua. Joshua, if you remember, was to take the Israelites into the promised land. Moses was unable to go, and all of those who did not believe were supposed to head into the promised land. And what the author is doing here is some of his readers would have been saying, well, they entered into God's rest with Joshua. And he's saying, no, they didn't, because David hundreds of years later, writes of this same rest after they had been entered into the promised land. So the rest, is not, it was pictured in the promised land that Joshua took the people in, but that was not the rest that we're talking about. It's an ultimate rest in what God has done and abiding in full and total relationship with Him, and you can't do that because of your sin. So this is a rest that's coming, and that's the point he's making there. As these two things get closer... And then the main point is right at the end. And if you remember, this is like the third time he's quoted this from Psalm 95, which is also a quote from Numbers 17. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, today, believe. We're going to talk about this as we get going, but church, I'm going to really, I think we have a hard time understanding what this belief is because of our culture. Again, I'm going to address this, but it's worth later, it's worth saying twice. In our culture, we have, and when I say culture, I mean this kind of this conservative evangelical church thing that we've grown up in. We've made belief an event or an experience. It's a one-time thing that you do. You believe. And what, the art, what I need us to see is the author is arguing for a belief that is ongoing and has to be maintained. A belief that happens once and then you don't live consistently with that belief is not belief. That's why, and I know when I said last week, once saved, always saved is a big problem. Because people will say, oh, I, I. so when I was 19, 20 years old, I was working, uh, laying b- block in Florida. This was like hell on earth, okay? It, it was hot. And we're carrying block around, and I worked with this other young guy's name was Joe. And I remember sharing the gospel with Joe one day, and he said, oh yeah, I've been baptized and all that stuff. He didn't say stuff. But his life was so inconsistent, but he was relying on the fact that at one point in time, he prayed a prayer and then was baptized, and somehow that meant he believed. He did not believe. Are you with me? Belief is not an event. Belief is a lifelong commitment that happens over a period of time. And I really think we have a hard time in our culture getting our minds around belief being something other than, than an event or an experience or an intellectual uh, agreement with a certain set of things. and the, uh, So keep that in mind, because the, the, the author here is making a very strong argument about what belief is, and I think we have such a hard time with passages like Hebrews chapter 4, because we take our understanding of belief into the passage, and we can't figure out what he's saying. Well, does it, does it mean we're earning our salvation? No, we're not earning our salvation. He's just talking about the reality of what belief really is. You with me? And it's, a, it's in the case with God, it's a very relational commitment staying thing, right? You don't just say, oh, I believe in God and then walk away from him. It's a relationship. You, you say, I believe in God, and then your life is consumed with the reality of beholding His glory. That's what it means to believe. 
And so when we get to the tip of the spear, the, the, the point of this chiastic structure, he says, today, if you hear his voice, believe. And I believe when we, when we hear this, we think, pray the prayer of salvation. I think a lot of us do. And I think he's actually saying, when you hear his voice today, believe. Tomorrow, believe. Next week, believe. When he calls you to love your wife or your husband and you don't feel like it, believe. You have to bring yourself in submission to belief. Today, now, this next instant, believe. So, in your notes, if you have some notes, um, I have printed out Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So with those things in mind, man, maybe I don't understand believing. Man, let me let this passage help me understand and gain a bigger picture, a more biblical picture of belief, and this chiastic structure that looks like this. With those things in mind, I, wanna, I want to... Um, you guys to stand up with me in respect of God's word, and we're going to read this passage together. But brother, I'm going to need your help. Okay. So, if so, Kevin's going to read. I'm going to give my throat a break and drink while you're busy doing something else, so you're not watching me. And Kevin's going Kevin's to lead us in a corporate reading of this passage. While we're reading, I want you to be looking for, like we talked about, these, these, these opposing realities. And because those opposing realities, you're going to hear lots of repetition. And so I want you to be looking for repetitious themes, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. So, brother, thank you. Please lead us. Let's read together. Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore to my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he points a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us not, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must be given account. Okay, you guys can have a seat. Talk to me a little bit about some repetitions that you have seen in this verse. Cool. Rest. It's a good one. It should stand out. It's it's repeated either rest or in a... In a and alluding to rest 13 times in these verses. So it's good, Colton. What else? Today? Yep. What other repetitions do you see? 
Seventh day or Sabbath, yep. Disobedience, obedience, yep. What else? It's good news. Very good. It's repeated twice. Anything else? Enter. Therefore comes up again. Hearing. It's another repetition. So good. Great job. So let me, let me highlight some of the main points as we fly over this verse. Man, you're going to have a lot of fun. You spend some time in here. It's really good. But here's some main points, um, and then we're going to unpack these. Okay. The goal is entering into God's rest. We see it in verse 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, and 11. In some of those verses, it's repeated a couple of times. And so here's the thing we should know as we read this passage. The goal is entering into the rest of God. The means by which we enter is the hearing of the good news. Jason brought this up, verses 2 and 11. The manner in which we enter into that good news and the rest of God is belief or avoiding unbelief or a hardening of the heart. If you look up, by the way, if you're wanting to do these kind of studies, if you go to blueletterbible.org, anytime you can hover over one of the words, it will give you kind of the Greek meaning. And so if you hover over disbelief, it, it will say disobedience. They're synonymous with each other. So it can be both. And I would say it this way. Disbelief is belief, is disbelief into action in accordance with the disbelief. You with me? Which equals disobedience. And so the goal is entering into God's rest. The means by which we enter is hearing this good news. And then the manner of entering is our belief, the believing work in which we should strive, and we'll get into this. It's in chapter 4, verse 2, 6, 7, and 11. And the timing by which we should enter or hear and believe is today, now, in this moment. It's in verse 3 of chapter 7, 13, 15 of chapter 3, and then chapter 4, verse 7. And the resources that keep us in our belief, the two things that keep us believing are uniting ourselves with others who believe and the Word of God. And we'll see that as we come to the end of the passage. And so as we said in the first verses, between verses 1 and 13, the the author uses the word rest or an allusion to it 13 times. The goal is entering into God's rest. What is God's rest? Well, for that we've got to return to Genesis. And so about 12, 14 weeks ago, we were in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. For some of you, this is going to be a little bit of a recap. But what is this rest of God? The author himself actually refers, he says somewhere it was written, and he's actually referring to, they didn't have verse numbers and stuff, so he couldn't just say in Genesis 2-2, because they didn't have those. He said somewhere it was written. He references what we know as Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. He says, verse, and this is in chapter 4, verse 4, he's quoting, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So let me recap our teaching from Genesis 2. Remember that God orders in creation in days 1 through 3. And then days 4 through 6, he fills. So first he orders, then he fills. And at the end of each of those days of both ordering and filling, he pronounces goodness. It is good or very good. On the seventh day, he does no more work, but the passage says that he rests. But there is no pronouncement of goodness, because that day was intended never to end. 
his day of resting or abiding or living is supposed to go on forever. But this stated goodness that's proclaimed at the end of each day is actually our perfection that we have a hard time fathoming. God's work is completely perfect. Each day closes with nothing undone. Every detail down to DNA strands and molecules and information that science has not even yet discovered is in complete, perfect alignment. It is in perfect, seamless order. Nothing is out of its place. Everything hits its mark. There is no sin So if you understand the definition of sin is missing the mark, nothing in God's creation missed the mark. It is without sin. It's perfect. It is good. It's very good. In other words, God's work is completely complete. It's perfectly perfect. And if it was anything that less than perfect, he could not rest in it. You with me? He could not have abided in it. God can only rest in perfection. And so when creation is very good, when it's perfect, God enters into it and He lives in it. He abides in it. It's His resting place. And so when a perfect God rests in a perfect location, what do we call that? Space. Holy. Paradise. But more than that, it's holy. You want to talk about repetition. For all of the universe, angels stand around this place where God has established as His throne and they sing back and forth to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come forever. That's their job. They never grow tired of it. Can you imagine the depth of holiness That each time you say it, it doesn't get more rote, it gets more profound. And God creates, uh, some authors that I was reading were saying, this kind of creation is talking about God creating a temple for himself. And then he rests in it, he lives, he abides in it. And so God's creation is his divine sanctuary in which he dwells and abides with his creation, and he shares his glory and his attributes. His image bearers look like him, men and women, and this is perfection. This is holiness. This is the way everything was intended to be. And God rested. This is God's rest. It's not him taking a nap. It's not him just living out some example that we're to follow. It's this holiness and an invitation into relationship forever. It's his rest. Now this gets disrupted by the fall and by the sin of man. But even from the very beginning, when he should have killed us, there's a video online, you ought to watch it sometime. Uh, Somebody asks R.C. Sproul if... um, why God was so harsh in his punishment of Adam and Eve when they sinned. And R.C. Sproul's response was a very loud, what is wrong with you people? And he says, here's these two pieces of created dirt and they sin against the living God and he doesn't crush them. Rather, he still exhibits grace towards them and then invites them back into relationship. And you want to know why God is so harsh? Church, it's true. God could have squashed us, should have. We should not be anywhere even close to God. And yet from the beginning, he begins to initiate and to invite us to live and to abide and to rest in him through belief in what he says. You with me? So that's why he says, um, see if I can find it real quick. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is in verse 3. As I swore in my wrath. Okay, starting verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, 
They shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. What's he saying? From the beginning, I was still inviting you. Those works were done, and I'm still inviting. But they did not come in because they refused to believe. But we also know from verse 3 that he says, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, the invitation is still open. This is the good news that he's referencing in verse 2 and verse 6. For good news came to us just as to them. Verse 6, those who formerly received the good news. Well, they didn't know Jesus. Yes, but what did they trust in? What did they believe in? Fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11. They believed in the words of God. You following me? They believed what God said. Why did Joshua and Caleb say, we can take the promised land because what God had said. No, I don't care what's there. I don't care about the 20-foot giants. God said. They believed what God said, and so they entered into His rest. We believe what God has said, and we entered into His rest. And ultimately, the finality of what Jesus, what God says is wrapped up and perfectly embodied in Jesus. He is the last word that God speaks. He's the final word. So this is the good news. Here it is. God's people may enter into abiding relationship with Him, into His rest, by belief in what He has said. So remember how the book of Hebrews opens. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us how? By His Son, He has spoken to us by His Son. So what do we believe? His Son. Jesus is the final word on entering into God's rest. There is no no other. And so Revelation 22 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So this is the good news. And the manner in which we receive this good news is by believing Faith is another synonymous word. And this has been the story all throughout history. Men were not accepted into God's rest because of their good works. Men did not initiate a relationship with God. God came to them. This is all true throughout history. God does not choose men, but God... Men do not choose God, but God chooses them. How is it that we enter into His rest? It's not by works. It's by belief. I was listening to the Christian radio, and somebody was teaching just the opposite of this. And he was camping on one particular passage of Scripture. And I said, man, even if you could work that one passage of scripture you're sanding across the entire complete grain the way the grain runs of the entire bible israel didn't choose god true god chose israel that's that theme runs the whole that's the way the grain of scripture runs this great and awesome kind God chooses us. We rebel against Him and then He provides a way and He says, you can enter still into my rest by believing in what I have said. What a gracious, kind King of the universe, yeah? Later in chapter 11, again, the author of Hebrews is going to go through a whole list of those who did the very, that very thing. They believed, and it was credited to them as righteousness. And if you ever read that list, you go, really? He's attributing faith to those people? It just reminds you that it's not about what we've done. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You see, that's opposite of the the Sinai wilderness. They knew where they were going and they still wouldn't believe. Abraham didn't have a clue and he went anyway. And it was credited to him as righteousness. By faith, he went to living into the land of promise. Church, this is the work that we are to strive in. It's the work of believing. And we should see this truth clearly in the author's message. Again, this is something you'll want to dive deeper into. But here's a couple of points he's making. One, in chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, he's talking about this fact that God finished his work and then he rested. And then if you go back a little bit in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, he talks about Jesus finishing his work and then he rested. And now the point that he is making is that the believer must finish his work of believing, which is not an event. It is a lifelong commitment. He finishes his lifelong commitment of believing and then he rests. The author is calling us, his listeners, to finish our work. And what is our work? It's to believe the Word of God. Not talking about earning our way. You just heard me say that. Our way has been created by God the Father and earned for us by Jesus. But we are to do the believing work in all that He has done on our behalf. I believe this is exactly why Peter says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Your calling and election is something that God does. Confirming it. You have, we, John would say the same thing. You have, no, you have no comfort to know that you're truly a believer if you don't live it. There's no comfort. John chapter 4, he would say, this is how we set our heart at ease, our minds at ease when our hearts condemn us. How? Because I'm believing into action. And again, I really think this is hard for us. We've lived in a Christian culture that for many years, believing has been promoted as an event, an experience, or a matter of intellectual agreement. We've agreed to some precepts. We walked an aisle. We said particular words. We filled out a card. We had an emotional experience, etc. Church, Nowhere in the Bible are we affirmed in our relationship with God based on events, experiences, or matters of intellectual agreement. It does not exist. This is the regular encouragement. If you want to know if you're a believer, it lives. The idea of believing as defined in Scripture is believing to action And you persevere in it for your life. In other words, you cannot separate true belief from actions. If you don't have actions that are growing out of your belief as a pattern, right? So just for those of you who are new, I'm, I'm not saying that we're perfect. For those of you who have been around, you know better. Right? Our growth is like this. But there is a progressive growth in our ability to believe and we're overcoming and we're working and we sin less and we're pressing on to Christ more, Right, habitually talking here. This is the whole argument out of the book of James. And like I said, we're going to be heading there. And in one place, he summarizes himself and he says, faith apart from works is dead. And so in Hebrews, when the author is talking about belief, 
This is what he means in ongoing, staying, abiding, resting relationship to commitment and hearing the words of God and believing them unto action, obeying. Look, if somebody says, I believe God will meet all my needs and then figuratively walks into the store of life and begins shoplifting, well, I'll take this little thing and I'm going to take that thing. God meets my needs and I'm going to pick up that thing and God meets my needs and I'm going to, I'm going to steal this thing and I'm going to make my life work because I need that thing. And God's not giving it to me. And I need this thing. And pretty soon he's standing there with a pocket full of things he's collected. And he's saying, I believe God meets my deepest needs. And you're lying to yourself. You with me? Church, I'm, I'm convinced that there are some people here who have been trusting in an event or an experience. And you think that's belief. And it is not belief. And I love you enough and myself enough. It's in the word of God. We've got to go, do I really believe God? Because it changes everything. Believing is our work. We must hold fast in it and help others keep it so that we do not fall away from it or drift from it. Romans chapter 4, verses 2 through 5 says, for if, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, <clears throat> here's where I think we get hung up. Even as I'm reading this, and even as I'm... I'm Even as I'm teaching, I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm hoping I'm doing a good idea because I'm not talking about earning our salvation. You hear me? But we get so hung up on these theological debates that we've heard about, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, and we're trying to figure out, well, what does it take to be saved? It takes believing, but we can't separate works. And are, are you with me? There's a lot of confusion around this. But even here, in, in, in Romans, Paul says, for if Abraham was justified by works, so he's recognized, he's recognizing that it's not by works, but he's also saying, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. But Abraham believed and he physically walked himself into a land where he had not a clue where he was going. You with me? He didn't just say, I believe God. He picked his self up and his whole family and his clans and his tents and his mules and his donkeys. And he marched everybody out into a wilderness and they said, where are we going? And he said, I don't know. He He believed unto action. And the time to do that is today, church. And again, the two conclusions in our chiastic structure from last week in this, chapter 3, verse 12, this is the pinnacle of, the, of our previous teaching. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. And then this pinnacle for today is today if you hear his voice, believe unto action. Don't harden your hearts. And lastly, the resources that we have that help us to hold fast to our confidence, and again, this is all throughout the passage, are found in the last two verses of our section here. Let me read them. 
verse 11. Therefore, let us therefore, sorry, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so here's these two resources that we have in order to help us live a life of believing unto action. And the first one is others who believe. We've seen this last week very clearly in the passage that I read just a few minutes ago, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers. This is also true in chapter 10, verse 24. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The way we hold on to our belief is by being together with others who believe. And if you get isolated, the Bible is very clear. You will eventually have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. You cannot do this on your own. That is not my opinion. It isn't. That runs in the grain of Scripture. Even as Christian was baptized today, he's placed into a community of believers. Why? Because he cannot make it without us and we without him. True? The primary resource we have for maintaining our believing unto action that we keep through our lives is the body of Christ. And the second one is also like it. The Word of God. This is interesting, isn't it? Always to me seemed like it was disconnected from the rest of the passage. But when you understand it in this way, and that the Word of God is living and active, it is the tool for our belief. It is the manner in which we today hear the Word of God. And it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what that's in opposition to? An unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13 at the end, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what the Word of God helps us to do? not be deceived by our unbelieving heart and our sin. It divides. Regular exposure to the Word of God says, Rob, you're full of it. (laughs) You know that's not true. True? Regular exposure to the world reveals in us unbelief and it shows us areas to grow and it reveals and motivates us to be more like Christ. I remember, this is one of those times in my life, I've mentioned this before, it was such a significant moment in my life for me. I was reading through Romans chapter 4, and it was about Abraham. And he's talking about Abraham believing in faith. And he says, Verse 18 of chapter 4, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, when he was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And the Holy Spirit came down on me in this loving velvet hammer and said, Rob, you question the Lord at every circumstance. Brother, you're always holding God accountable to your perspective. Think when my dad died, man, I... I had a really hard time with the Lord about that. I judged him for years about that. I was angry with him and felt justified in it. And I had a whole Christian community telling me it's okay. And the Holy Spirit said, Rob, you are the judge of God. You know what did that to me? His word. His word said, I love you. I've let you, been, I've let you do this for a long time. But I'm loving you enough to say, no more. You are not God's judge, you puny little lovely man. (laughs) God has more wisdom than you can fathom, and you need to stop bringing him to account. You know what did that to me? His word. When we regularly bring ourselves before the Lord, He exposes the motives of our hearts. When we believe and we say, I am committed to you, I'm going to persevere, God help me not to fail for the rest of my life, and I'm going to believe today and believe today and believe today. When we believe and we open His Word, He promises, He promises My word will pierce your soul and your spirit. It'll help you in discerning the thoughts of intentions of your heart. And no part of you is hidden. The psalmist knew this. David says, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any evil way within me. True? Guys, I want to encourage us. This is not an abstract idea. This idea of believing God. Any more than it was abstract for whether or not the Israelites were going to go to this unfamiliar land. If you're tempted to justify disobedience, if you're tempted to justify a particular vice, or you're wanting to justify going your own way because I I see it this way working and you're clinging on to that thing like a three-year-old child and you just can't see your life working without it and you have to have this certain thing, I'm telling you, you need to say, do I believe God or don't I? If you have ongoing vices or relational difficulties in your life, you need to ask yourself the question, do I believe or don't I? And if you just heard me say that and somebody else's name came to mind, I'm telling you, you're the one in trouble. This is not an abstract idea that somebody else needs to get. Am I growing? Am I believing God? Am I believing Him today? Today, Rob... Today, Vine and Branch Church, if you hear the word of God, believe. Jesus, thank you for coming to get us. Holy Spirit, thank you for staying with us and being our counselor and our comforter. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your word. And We do not live in condemnation. This is not something we have have to earn. And yet at the same time, we come upon this place in Scripture where we are adequately warned and, and the author through the Holy Spirit wants us to take serious inventory of our belief. And for me to make light of it or focus on something else would be far more comfortable as a teacher, but not commitment to saying what I believe, Lord, that you're clearly saying in this passage. 
You've made it very easy with the way that you had the author structure these passages that we know what's at the tip of the spear. There's no way to weasel out of it. And we can talk about the power of the word and move on the question, which, and that's a good thing. But we must be faced with this reality that we need to believe your words. And so we thank you for giving us this part of your word through your word that even now you're at work discerning and dissecting hearts in this room, mine included. And I say, and I believe many, if not all of my brothers and sisters here, join us in saying, Lord, dissect on. Root out unbelief. Root out how we're deceiving ourselves. Root out how excuses that we've made. Tear down justifications that we use to justify our lack of belief. And we trust ourselves with to you. Because you're good and you know better. And so, Lord, we pray that you would unpack us now through your word and then fill us with your spirit and the hope of your good news. That in believing, we enter into your rest. That we just believe unto obedience. And may we make you king and sovereign of our lives more and more and more. And every time we hear your word, may we not harden our hearts, but believe unto obedience with great joy. And so for your glory and our good, run these truths deep into our heart. Amen.